The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. I don't know about you guys, but during the COVID pandemic, I got pretty sick of quizzes with the family and work trying to keep everybody engaged. But the COVID-19 crisis accelerated virtual collaboration exponentially, creating an instant need for virtual facilitation skills. How often have you been in a virtual meeting and felt as though it was a monologue? Have you found yourself wondering why the person running the meeting couldn't have just sent you an email? Do you find yourself reaching for your phone or checking emails so you can, in inverted commas, multitask? Do you make affirmative noises or nod just so it looks like you're listening? And do you wonder how engaged every other participant is? Today's guest's research shows that 60% of participants during the pandemic on virtual meetings do other work-related tasks, and 47% have tried to go to the toilet during a virtual meeting. I didn't dive too deep into that one. But people and organizations have started on this journey, but many of us still lack the experience and skills to use this medium for effective and energetic collaboration. Today's guest will share how to operate successful virtual meetings, virtual events, virtual workshops, and virtual training. Welcome to season four of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnervate Centre here in Trinity College. I am your host, Aidan McCullen, and it is a great pleasure to welcome the author of Virtual Facilitation, Create More Engagement and Impact, Henrik Horn Anderson. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you, man. And the timing of your book was just absolutely brilliant. It came out just after the pandemic struck and we were all in lockdown. Maybe you'll give us a bit of context, as you do in the book, for what it was like back then and how you had the need for speed to get this book to market. Yeah, it was actually pretty scary for most organizations, especially a company like ours with 1,700 people, maybe at that point we were 1,400, working with workshops physically around Europe and engaging organizations, doing change management and trainings in rooms. And I was actually in the Copenhagen airport. I been through the security. I was on my way to the gate and I got a phone call from a CEO because we were going to London with, with his executive team. And I was going to do training over there with that organization. And he said, we don't dare to go there. And we're mid-February or something like that. And uh, we have to do the workshop in Denmark tomorrow. So you need to check out and uh, go back. And I realized that if a guy like that running a big organization in the Nordics, doesn't dare to go to London. There's something wrong here. After having done those two days of workshop, I started inviting a co-author on the book to a conversation about, we need to train people in different. Uh, and so the day after that, we started morning trainings, afternoon trainings, and I had open kitchen in the lunch break where people could call me in. And so when Denmark was locked down two weeks later, we had trained more than 400 people. So we were a little bit lucky there if, that we saw it. So when the country was closed down, we had this feeling of, we know what to do. People have been trained. They can call their clients and say, 
we know how to run the project from home. And that made us be ahead of the curve. And that was probably also why we were approached by Wiley and later about writing this book. So that was the context and a lot of people have to learn new things. And I think the parallel right now is with AI. Everybody can see that is changing our way of, of working and collaborating, but we don't really know how to, to do it. And we don't have the same importance that we, as we did back during COVID. So, but maybe that's a different story. It just shows you the term, don't let a crisis go to waste was yeah, very much a top of your mind. But let's yeah. get into the content because we don't have much time. Henrik has kindly joined us from a workshop that he's running, an in-person workshop this time. And is, we're going to run through some of the topics that he covers in the book. And there's loads in there. There's a whole structure around how to run meetings all the way through to how to keep people engaged. But let's start because I was thinking about this myself. A lot of my work is workshops and keynotes. And by now, my content is pretty solid. And yeah. what I try to work on more is my state. So how am I? What's my energy like, et cetera? And you talk about this even in a virtual facilitation because I am sure many of us just show up and throw up when we do a virtual facilitation. But there's a huge amount expected. And let's share the role of the facilitator to begin with. So I think the role of facilitators, of course, super, super important. And as you say, there's something about it, about just turning on the camera and then trying to come with a good energy. I think for me, at least when I'm in a good meeting, it's where I feel that the facilitator has the meeting, takes responsibility and sends the signal that I really want something out of this meeting and frames it and runs it and takes me on that journey that make me not want to check my email or go to the toilet, as you said, in the opening. So for me, that the role of the facilitator in essence is to get us to the goal and, you know, what is expected outcome of this meeting. And of course, that's, everybody knows that, but the clarity about, so what's the purpose of this meeting? Why are we having it? Why are we not sending the email? What is the actual thing that we're going to achieve? Is it knowledge sharing? Is it decision-making? Is it IG generation? What is it? Learning might also be an obvious thing. And then we can nerd around about you know, facilitation and learning and all that kind of thing. But, but I think in essence, that idea of framing, what do I want out of this? That for me, at least, if you to do only one thing out of this conversation, it is to spend more time on the purpose and the deliverables of this, of any meeting that you run. We would have so much better meeting if, if we did that. And then. I think you know, we will dive into all the, the tools and, and methods that we have in the book because we tried to make it not a theoretical, but a really practical a guide from one practitioner to another. And that is at least our hope that it, whilst reading this, you get the tool for how to make a script or how to design. And virtual meetings have a different time spent. It's not that you save a lot of time. In my book, at least, if you want to run a really good virtual meeting, you need to spend almost the same time as you do on a physical meeting. And we don't, we just turn on the camera and think now we go. But if you really want to have energy, engagement, impact out of your meetings, you need to spend, yeah, we say 60, 70% of the time before the meeting. And then only 10% in the meeting and then 20% after where we in another workshop would say 40, 20, 40. So. The time spent is so much different because you need to plan all kinds of 
tips and tricks and scenarios or practical things or tools that you need to get the data from the work. You were saying in the book to focus on the design process. And like you say, many people were panicking during the pandemic to just get online and the feeling of just being able to run whatever platform, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, WebEx, whatever it is people use, the feeling that they were just able to use the technology was a feeling of success. Yeah. And that in turn, there's like a waterbed effect. It meant that they focused a lot of time on that and less on the actual design of the entire process. And I thought we'd share some really low hanging fruit for people to be able to grasp at and go, okay, these are some simple things I can do to be able to frame the process, et cetera. Maybe we'll share a couple of those before we move on. Yes. So small things like besides preparing, it's thinking about how can you just create a, a nice environment? So when people log on, is there a little bit of music? Is there a conversation going? Imagine that, that you were running a physical workshop and you came in the door and there were five people in there and they, they would not say anything to you. It would be strange, right? So why don't you have that small chit chat going also in the virtual room and then have a clear starting point? Do you have everybody had heard their own voice within the first 10 minutes in terms of just checking in, saying, hi, my name is, or whatever in, or in breakouts or something, or a micro involvement that in the chat could also be a way of, of just checking in so that I mainly know that I'm here, I'm contributing to the meeting and I know that that is, and then make it easier for you as a facilitator afterwards to engage the rest because they are already in process and not trying to run the meeting in parallel. And then think about a lot of small interactions along the way. And I know sometimes it, it went way too long. The wrecking ball went all the way over on the other side during the, the pandemic. But I think we right now, at least the meetings that I'm in, don't do enough of, enough of these small micro involvements of voting or breakouts or conversations. Uh, with yourself or having time to reflect to all these things that we did a lot yeah. back in these days. At the very least, Henrik, you'll be able to catch if somebody's gone to the toilet or not. <laughs> exactly. And then another small thing that I think we need to do much more is, is recapping along the way. So now we've decided that. Now we've here the program. This leads us to this part of the program. We will do this for the next 20, 20 minutes or whatever. And you could, I could probably go on with a lot of ranks, but I think one of the tricks that I use really often in virtual meetings is to say, all right, guys, there's a lot of things that I want to have out of this meeting. I've prepared a, a nice agenda. And if we have focused, then I'll stop 10 minutes before. I'll give you 10 minutes for free to prepare for the next meeting or walk to where you need to go and the likes. And everybody loves that. They lean in and say, all right, let's, let's gain those 10 minutes by being present and attentive and engaged. Henrik, because the content design, the meeting design is so important, what are some questions to pose to yourself to make sure that you're on track and you've designed it well? I think that's a really good question. I'll give you five. And it's rounded what we call the design star. And it's a super simple tool. And I, it's my go-to always in, in preparing a, a workshop. And it's because I'm a little bit experienced and I guess many of the listeners are in, in running meetings and workshops and we have this tendency to really fast go into 
doing the agenda and I can do it like that because I'm so experienced. And just pausing and giving these five things a little bit of thinking makes me change my design to the better. And so it's, imagine drawing a, 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 a four, what's that called, pointed uh, star with a, with a center. And in the center, you get the purpose. The why would be the question. So why are we having the meeting? We talked a little bit about that. And that, of course, should influence the four corners or four parts of your design, which is who will be participating that it, who should, of course, connect to why. I talked a little bit about that, but so if this is the purpose, who do we need to engage? And the next part will be the platform. So purpose, participant, platform, in which setting, both from a yeah. check perspective, or maybe also a mental setting, would want to bring these people in. Is the invitation just in Outlook, or do we do something with a small video, a teaser, anything that does something to the mental setting as well? Have you thought about that? That in a way that would support the purpose. What's the process? How would we run the meeting in a way so we get to that purpose? And finally, who are our partners? Who will have which role in the meeting so it's not just me talking all the time? And it just shows you, Henrik, apart from virtual meetings, how few people actually prefer for meetings, an agenda for a meeting. And, and the same thing is then brought online and people have this like, their diaries end up looking like Tetris with back-to-back -back meetings jammed together with no time between to be able to relax and prepare for the next meeting, including the person running the meeting. And I think that's hard for people to be able to do that. And oftentimes we'll blame the organization and go, I'm just too busy, but you can push back as well. And maybe we'll share a little bit about some of the common mistakes that you've seen, the top common mistakes, just so our audience don't feel like it's just them. Yeah, interesting. Okay, where to start? Yeah, I, I did the one on the purpose part. I think some of the other classical mistakes is not thinking about who is really important to having that meeting with participants. You just throw in a lot of people instead of linking the participants to the purpose. And, and it, it's super simple, but I think I'm in two wedding meetings with too many people and it's a waste of time. And especially with AI and chat uh, opportunities, we can share the takeaways with the broader audience upwards, if that's important, but I think Really, so if we need that decision, we need that person here, we don't spend enough time on that. Then there's all the classical mistakes around platform that you don't, you're, you're not really good in using the platform yourself or the audience you haven't thought about, do they really know how to use a Mario board or a, a, a teeth breakout or a whiteboard a jammers and a tool or whatever it is. And I think that is, is also one of the classical things that, that we hate. Then all kinds of facilitators that feels that they, it's important that they're more interesting than interested. So it's, they think that it's about them, which is not, it's about getting the most out of the people that are in the meeting or classical mistakes around having just turn on the camera. I think, especially in a hybrid setting that we are really off in these days, it's, it's so awful to be the one sitting at home. And then you you have the people sitting at around a conference table and you're just the person hanging on the list that they forget and they talk to each other at the table. And that classical mistake of not engaging the people that are online in a hybrid meeting is one of the things that I really try to avoid myself these days and sometimes forget. And then maybe another classical mistake that I see if I'm going 
around some of the things that we talk about in our design style is forgetting to engage others to have different roles. So do I, when I'm planning the meeting, give you a task of running a part of the meeting or being responsible for sharing an update or whatever. So it's just end up being me talking all the time, even with me, if I don't know the most about the project plan or the decision that we need to take. That one is also makes the meeting so boring if you hear the same voice for 45 minutes out of 55. And these are all tips, you call them micro-engagements or micro-involvement. Yes. And I just want to, I, <laughs> I suppose one of the roles of an MC or a host on a podcast is to be that signposter of content as well. I, I often think how helpful it is when you're hosting a podcast. It's the same thing. It's facilitation, really. And yes. you're trying to keep the guests engaged and then the audience engaged as well. So one of the things I do with my shows is really work hard on the research beforehand in order to be able to be freewheeling with the content then and be able to jump around, et cetera, et cetera. Because particularly with a book like yours, where everything's covered in this book, it's so, so important. And one of the things I thought we'd finish with, it's probably one of the things you would probably need to start with, which is, it's not about the tech. It's actually about being human friendly. And you say here, start with the brain, not the tech. Yeah, it's just to make it super simple and, and clear. If we think about it from a human out kind of perspective, instead of if it, a, a tech out perspective, I think we would have to, so much different meetings. We would have small breaks. We will have standing up in, as part of the meetings, or we would have not long presentations because the brain go into power save after 10, 20 minutes, uh, depending on how good you are in, in presenting. And I think, why don't we do more of that brain human centric? For instance, also just checking in on a personal note, we, we would, at least in a, a Danish Nordic context, you would always be doing a chit chatting, checking in on a physical meeting, but on the virtual meeting, we think we need to be so efficient. So we just start on a hit on and, and run into the program and you feel like I'm not really here. I'm not important. And so why am I actually spending my time here? And since I'm not, don't feel that I'm important, I start checking all the things. So if I was seen as both as me, as Henrik, as a human, but also if the facilitator make me feel important as part of the first part, framing the, the content in a way that this is really important and you are here by a special reason because I did that in my preparations in the design start. I figured out you need to be here, Henrik, because you can add this to the conversation. Then I'm there with a totally different mindset. You know, I'm there as a human and not just a, an observer watching a TV show where somebody talks way too much. Henrik, how would you conclude? So you've signposted, you've recapped, you've included people, etc. How would you conclude the meeting? What's the best way to conclude? Say it's a virtual workshop, for example. That is actually always the hard part, I think. It's, it's around creating that clarity around what have we actually decided? Who does what? When is the follow-up? It's, it's all those classical things. And right now, if you turn on the transcription, AI can help you on that uh, to, to do the draft so you can actually be in the meeting and be both in the dance and at the balcony at the same time by a little bit of help from AI. I think that is, is one part. And then I always try to leave them not on a high necessarily, but with 
hope or feeling of, you know, we don't do something about this. The AI one is so true. One of the things I've started using the AI for when it first came out, like tools like Otter, for example, transcription Mm -hmm. tools, was that it gives you a ratio about how much the host has spoken versus the guest. And if that ratio was ever out of sync, like I would go 85% guest, 15% host. But if it was over 20, say, I'd actually go and edit myself out. <laughs> I'd make sure to go, what was I harping on about, et cetera. And I think that feedback from AI, it's almost like having a neutral observer that you can't be offended by because it's just tracking the data and you can't argue with the data. That is so useful. For me, at least, the meeting doesn't end when it ends in the calendar. I try to, and, and it's you know, only on my best days, to have a little bit of time afterwards to be speedy in sending out the meeting notes or the slides that I used or the polling or whatever we did so that there's a before, during and after the meeting and maybe also an after and let me just do that really quick. Immediately after the meeting, I will send out the slides and the decisions and whatever was fast with, hey, we will do X, Y, and C and bring this in on the next steering committee meeting or whatever it is. And then a little bit later, maybe a more condensed or elaborated follow-up with, so here are the things that we're going to bring into the steering group or the feedback from the steering group is X, Y, and C. So trying to keep a little bit of track of the input that they gave in this meeting. And again, we have a lot of different types of meeting, but if it's this more workshop life where we bring people in to, to create stuff, I'll, I'll think a little bit more on a change management follow-up perspective than, than just now we are out of the meeting. Brilliant. And Henrik, for people who want to find out more about you and your work and th- that massive team of 1,700 people, where is the best place to find you? We have a, a, a web page with a lot of content and articles and downloadable mm-hmm. materials on uh, implementconsultinggroup.com slash BF or virtual facilitation. And you can start there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've learned loads, even though I've watched you online. I've watched some of your interviews before and, of course, read the book as well. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Author of Virtual Facilitation, Create More Engagement and Impact, Henrik Horn Anderson. Thank you for joining us on Inside Learning. Thanks for joining us on Inside Learning. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.